This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. If you're enjoying the ideas and inspiration from the wide variety of guests and their experiences from the last five seasons of this podcast, just know that the best way to take the next step and deepen your knowledge in order to apply the skills and learning to regenerate your world is to read a book. New Society Publishers' vision is to provide the world with fundamental tools to help build a just and ecologically sustainable society, and many of the guests that I've interviewed here on the show are authors published by them. You can find all of their work in ebook, audiobook, and classic paperback at newsociety.org. Hey everybody and welcome back. Now in today's episode, I'm going to bring us back to an aspect of strengthening community that I first began to explore in this series with David Holmgren and Charles Marone. Back then we looked deeply into how suburbs and towns can work at a foundational level to regenerate their communities through civic planning and collaboration through each level of local government. In today's episode, I spoke to Sarah James, the co-author of the book The Natural Step for Communities which provides inspiring examples of communities that have made dramatic changes towards sustainability and explains how others can emulate their success. Now, Sarah is the principal of a city and town planning consulting firm specializing in participatory planning methods. She co-authored the American Planning Association's Planning for Sustainability Policy Guide and has published articles and given workshops throughout the United States. In this interview, Sarah breaks down the natural step framework designed to guide change makers through the process of coordinating positive change through many different aspects of their community. She recounts the inspiration that she found in the eco-municipalities in Sweden that she visited and the examples that prove that sustainable towns are possible. We also navigate the obstacles that you're likely to face in the change making process as well as strategies that have been shown to work. We also go into the mindset of successful sustainability leaders, advice for aspiring change makers, some of Sarah's own learnings while teaching these steps, and much more. So if you've been following along since the beginning of this series, you'll undoubtedly be picking up on many recurring patterns in the advice and the success examples from many of these interviews. And this session with Sarah is a wonderful reinforcement of these important learnings. So with that said, I'll hand things over now to Sarah James. Sarah, look, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's great to finally connect. I know it's taken a little while to schedule this properly, but I am interested in knowing how you first got started with working with communities and creating solutions for their development. Right. Well, um, I am a, a city planner by education and trade. So I've been working um, in that area for, for many years and in the 1990s started to get <clears throat> interested in sustainability and in particular what this meant for planners and communities. And uh, I heard of uh, these remarkable communities in Sweden that sounded like they were just way ahead of the curve. Um, so in 2001, I went on a tour of some of them and I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It, uh, they, were, they were so far ahead of, of anywhere in this country. And uh, so I came back uh, to this country thinking, well, probably the best thing I could do is to let people know what they're doing over there. So I, I emailed the tour leader who happened to be a, a 
fellow planner named Torbjörn Lati, um, who founded the Swedish Eco Municipality Movement. And I said, do you want to write a book about all this? And he said, sure, why not? Um, so we wrote the book. Um, and, and that's what, you know, kind of got us started in this. So we, we, we then we did a book tour in 2004, I think, and um, several, quite a few communities got excited about this, this process and idea and decided they wanted to do it themselves. So since then, I would say about 30 to 35 communities in the United States um, have followed this particular path to becoming a sustainable community. Okay, so I would love to know more about these examples from Sweden. What were some of the aspects of them that stood out to you and inspired you to write the book? Oh, so many and such. Well, first of all, um, they're really, uh, they've been working towards sustainable change in a broad range of issue areas. And I think this is one of the characteristics of eco-municipalities is they work broadly to change rather than um, working in a few separate uh, sustainable development projects, what we often call the silo approach to sustainable development. Um, having said that, and just in particular, well, for example, the city of Umeå in the north of Sweden, population of about 100,000, they, for, for almost two decades, have been um, heating and powering their, their, their city almost entirely from the city's own solid waste stream. Um, and one of the other things they've done is they helped to develop a, a, uh, an industrial park that's called Green Zone, where uh, it's one of the earliest examples of circular development, circular construction. They were doing it long before that term was even in use. So they, um, all their power comes from renewable energy. They've, they've reduced their power and heating needs by 60% in the first place. Um, their fresh water needs by, by another 60%. They're, they've, they recycle 100% of their storm water on site. Uh, for example, one of, the th they do, one of the things they do is they clean and filter the storm water and use it for an on-site car wash. That's that's one of the one of the things they do they've done um, in their building they um, they've uh, reduced largely reduced their use of virgin materials they've constructed all the buildings so that they can be uh, disassembled and and their parts recycled ninety nine percent of the building uh, building materials are recyclable um, so that's just one example. Um, of the amazing things that these these cities are doing and towns. And since you published your findings over there and the examples that you just mentioned, have you gotten the types of criticism that I always hear from other places, which is, oh, that's wonderful, it works over there, but there's no way that we could make it happen here. Is it mostly an issue of upfront investment or not seeing how it's going to pay off on the long term? What sort of criticisms well, have you found? Well, um, we certainly did hear that, you know, when the book came out and before anything got started here. But since 35 communities have 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 gone this path over there, you can't that's you can't say that anymore because <laughs> it's clearly and and um, it's also worked. You know, there are eco municipalities now um, around the world, uh, so it's it's you know, the evidence is pretty clear that it's not just because it's Sweden. Sweden certainly 
led the way with its examples, but um, but we we have found that it's a process that works anywhere. And one of the questions you said you wanted to talk about is um, is what I've learned throughout this process. And one of the things that I have learned is that. The, uh, the process of becoming an eco municipality, which is which is different than any other path towards becoming a sustainable community that I have encountered. Um, what I've learned is that this process, the principles involved of sustainability and the process, um, work um, almost anywhere in a broad range of types of communities, different geographies, different income levels, sizes. Um, and that has been one of the most uh, rewarding um, and exciting things that I have learned in this process. So let's 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 bring this all together now and talk about the book, The Natural Step for Communities, in which you give an overview of the natural step framework that you helped to put together. Can you tell me what that is and what it's used for? Um, yes, it's a combination of using four uh, sustainability principles, which we've come to call the eco-municipality principles, um, coupled with a process model. Um, and, the, and the other thing that sets it apart, this is what sets it apart in my mind from all the other different approaches, um, is, that, is that it takes a systems approach to community change. Um, and to sustainable development. Again, not the silo, the project by project approach, um, but this is what makes it different. This is the main characteristic of the eco-municipality model. Um, so the four, the, um, the four, what we do is we create a process whereby all different sectors in the community are all working basically with the same set of principles, there are just four of them, um, and, and they can be used uh, by almost any, in, in almost any level, so that like all the different departments of the departments of the city could be using them, the public facilities, recreation, housing, um, fiscal affairs, um, the, the business sector can use it, the education sector, community households can use it. And so what happens um, if you can create a process whereby all these different community sectors are working with these, they're all working in very different areas, um, but they're, and they come up with their own ideas within their own issue area for what needs to be changed but they're all working in the same direction. And this is, this is how a systems approach works. Um, so even though the recreation department will come up with a very different set of ideas for change using those principles, um, then say the, the public works department um, or community, um, community groups, they're all gonna be working towards the same goal. And when you do that, at in, in this systematic way, then that then you you really minimize the chance that some people's project ideas are going to conflict with others because they're all again they're all heading um, in in the same direction, and that's why this process um, has proved so successful. 
And that's also another reason that it can work very fast um, because you're not, you know, you're not waiting one year, you know, you're putting solar panels on the school and then maybe next year you're working on green building uh, uh, design guidelines or uh, you're, you're not, you're not uh, doing this. Everybody's working on this at the same time. So, you know, really fast, um, extensive change can come in a relatively short period of time. So that sounds amazing. And I know you have examples of this, but it's still hard for me to see how you can get so many different disciplines and different people coming to a consensus and getting on the same page. What does that process look like? How do you initiate those conversations? Um, well, it's, you know, again, when you, it's, it's actually pretty simple. <laughs> um, if you can get, you know, hopefully, uh, you, if the local officials are on board with this, and that's an important part for sure. Um, what we do is we hold, um, training workshops or community workshops very early in the process. Um, to introduce the sustainability principles so everybody knows what they are and how to how to work with them. And we often uh, have a community workshop. Uh, we, we work to get as broad a participation of, you know, the different types of community interests into that workshop. Um, we have other workshops, hopefully concurrently with, with municipal department heads. And we introduce these principles and we get them going, working right away on action plans. They're, you know, Setting, setting the vision, you know, the important part is setting the vision. Where do we want to end up? What would our community or our department look like if we met these four sustainability principles? And that kind of sets the, what you're trying to work for. And then they, um, all these different groups try to uh, work on preparing plans for how they're going to get there. Um, and that's, what, that's how the broad, you know, everybody's working on this at the same time. Uh, ideally. Um, and then when they come up with their action plans, then all those different, sep you know, seemingly separate plans get put together um, in one big sustainability action plan, which is then hopefully approved by the local officials, and then off we go. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, how it can work broadly and quickly. So in two parts of that process, you mentioned the need to work with local officials and leadership. And that's all well and good if they're on your side from the beginning. But I would imagine you've come across some scenarios where there's some opposition at those levels. Do you have some advice or experience in getting people on your side in order to start the ball rolling? Sure. Now, that's a good question. Well, first of all, you know, the, the term eco-municipality sounds very clunky, but um, there's actually a reason for it, which is that, um, again, and this is the, our, this approach, um, uh, it's very important to get the municipality involved and on board with this process. If you don't, um, then it could be a, you know, very laudable local effort or community effort, but it's, it's not going to be the same. Um, so, so that's, um, that's an important one. What we have found you know, in some cases, uh, it's been a local official who got this started in the first place, and then they convinced their other city councilors or mayor or, or selectmen, whoever it, whoever it be. Um, in the case where, where 
the local officials don't know very much about this process, what, what we suggest, actually the, the way that, that this has gotten going pretty much in every, almost every case is by finding people who we call fire souls, people with a burning interest in sustainable development and who are willing to work hard to make that happen. And it, all it takes is really two or three, uh, maybe just one or two to get things going. Um, but if they, if, uh, if they have ties to, uh, if they know any of the local officials, and in one case, this happened by going out and playing golf with a city councilor, <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's, that's the place to start. Um, and if they don't have those relationships, then, then the, like, you know, the, the likelihood is that they know people who do. Um, so that, um, that really is the most effective avenue we found for getting local officials involved. So, and, you know, and if the, the first step is usually if they're, if they, if they're, in, if they're willing to find out more about this process, mm. um, which can be accomplished by, a, you know, a workshop or a presentation either done by, you know, one of us as an outside consultant or someone within the community who's familiar with it, um, just explaining what it is and how it works. Um, and then asking the local officials for <clears throat> a commitment to go forward. And again, in almost all cases, uh, this has involved uh, the local officials, be that city, again, city council, mayor, county commissioners, um, to actually pass a resolution officially adopting the, the, these eco-municipality principles as official policy. <clears throat> and that tells everybody else, including people <clears throat> in the local government, that the local officials mean business. And it lets the community people know that, you know, this is serious. What they're, you know, they're, what they come up with is going to be taken seriously by their, by their elected officials. Um, so that's, so those are a couple of reasons why that's such an important thing to do fairly early on. And so that is a potential obstacle that if it's not in place can really slow things down or prevent people from getting on the same page. And I know you've outlined other obstacles for communities working towards change. What are some of those hurdles that need to be either <coughs> looked at from the beginning or anticipated along the way? in order to prevent stoppages? Right. Um, I would say the biggest obstacle I've seen is getting stuck in the silo approach. Um, you know, either getting so into one or two project areas that you lose sight of the forest for the trees. You know, you're all focused on, um, you know, wastewater management or solar panels on the school and you you lose sight of the fact that what you know what you're trying to do is to change the whole community change the broad range of of issues uh in in a community to move in a sustainable direction um and i've you know or sometimes the people who are interested in forming an eco municipality are 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 so involved in a particular issue of, you know, already um, that that's what they want to focus. They say, well, let's start here, you know, and then if it works, we can go on and do other areas. Well, it, it's possible that that could work, um, but there are risks involved because again, all the resources and focus and, 
and it is a silo approach, get focused on that area, and um, without being able to pay attention to, to the broad range of issues that involve, involve the, the broader sectors of the community. So I would say that's probably the biggest pitfall I've seen, just getting stuck in that way. It sounds like instead of going for these big mammoth projects that can definitely move things forward, there need to be a lot of smaller projects in different sectors that start to grow and gain community support as they develop. Is am I getting that right? Um, that yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Um, but I think it's important to realize that even you know if there are if there's a particular group want you know really focused on one area, it's important. Um, for them to understand that that working in the on the you know in a broader way doesn't preclude them from working on their particular issue. It just allows everybody else to work on their issues concurrently. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's uh, it doesn't have to. But and also, if it, you know when when an action plan is developed, you know there will be scores of, of initiatives that people want to do, people, different departments and different, uh, you know, community members want to do. Um, but at it's, but you know, it's at some point, the next step after you have all those on the table, um, is to start to, um, to prioritize though. And every, you know, anybody who works with a municipality knows you can't do everything at once. You know, you have to develop plans over time. Well, that's what a capital improvements plan is, which cities do as a matter of course anyway. Um, just to develop a plan where this is what we do in the first three years, this is what we do in five years, 10 years, um, and then get that down and get that codified again in an official kind of way. And, and once again, that gives people in the community or people who work with the city confidence that you know that this is that the, their their projects that they you know that they've worked so hard and they want so much they're on they're they're on the table, you know, and it's just a question of getting them done over time. I would imagine that's essential for getting full buy-in from the community as well, because otherwise people feel like they're starting to be left behind as other initiatives move that, forward. Oh, I think you've really I think you've just hit on the crux of why community participation is so important. Um, because you know, if the community isn't in back of this, it's not going to go. And they're you know, they'll be angry, and they'll show up at public meetings, and they'll fight it. And I, you know, I've seen this ever since I I um, began as a planner. You know, I couldn't understand why we you know the planners would work on these great plans, and people would come out and be angry about it, or you know, it end up on the shelf and not not get done. Well, in almost in all cases, it was because community people were not involved from the beginning in creating it. Um, and that is the key to success, um, is involving people from the beginning. Um, and this is, um, you know, this is when, when, when local officials first hear about this part of the process, they often feel very threatened. Well, you know, what about what we want to do? You know, we can't, and what, what if the community comes up with something really outlandish and here we've said we're open to, it? well, um, you know, well, first of all, that almost, that rarely if ever happens. Um, it's understandable, of course they feel threatened, but, but 
when they when when I think when they come to understand that you know that that what the community wants you know needs to be considered you know it doesn't mean they 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 will all they'll they'll have the final say they're the ones who officially have to approve the plan um so it's not like they're totally giving up control here but i think when they can come to understand that the chances of ultimate success of what they want and the community want um is enhanced by this um they'll they'll usually accept it um and and so and 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 the other piece of this is um again i don't think i've ever seen a process where when you get through it what the community wants for the future for future and what the local officials want for their future is radically different they're almost always the same you know or at least similar that's fantastic because it's not what a lot of people think of especially at local government levels right there's a perception that those who are in charge, elected officials have mostly their own interests at heart, or there's a lot of mistrust based on, you know, buying sway or influence from, from industry and from private interests. Have you seen that come into conflict in this process at all? Um, let's see. I'm just trying to think. I, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a chance a situation where a business tried to sway the results. But remember, again, if this is done properly, the, it, you know, the business sector of the community is involved from the get-go as well. Um, it either involved as a part of the community process or, you know, having their own workshops. That's another uh, involvement. I, you know, I think it's better if you have a process where community people and business people can mix and get to know each other and work together. Um, but again, uh, if you, if you do a, if you do a good job in the beginning of really carefully identifying the different sectors of the community and the different interests of the community and, and trying to making sure that, in the participatory process and workshops that that broad range of interests, including the businesses are represented from the beginning in those workshops when you're trying to, when you're coming up with the broader vision and then, and then the action plans um, to follow them up, then that's the place where a lot of this gets worked out. So that by the time you get farther on, you know, again, everybody's working you're all and they're all working with the same set of principles so 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 those differences kind of get smoothed out yeah that makes a lot of sense and it also goes right into a nice transition because we've been talking now about the things that are challenging what are the obstacles for communities moving forward and implementing plans like this but you also outline three change processes that have been shown to work in the book what are those I think I think the change processes are well. The the one that I think um, probably works the best, and this is common to almost all of them, is you know the first step is sort of if you know if you're is to find the fire stoles in a community, the people who are really interested in making change happen in a sustainable way, and and you know educating them about this and getting them on board and 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 willing to work. And then maybe involving their help in reaching out to the 
local elected officials and getting them getting them on board. Um, and then another step is then making you know if you if they do they do get on board, uh, uh, um, persuading them to adopt those uh, for eco municipality principles as official policy. Again, because that tells everybody, community, business, and uh, government departments that you know the municipality is serious about this, and you know they really want to do it. Coupled with those four principles, coupled with the commitment to a participatory bottom-up process of coming up with a with the vision for the community and an action plan to 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 carry it out. <clears throat> And then finally, uh, you know, when those those uh, steps are done, which can take anywhere from several months to a year, a year or so, um, then then uh, you know, commitments to implementation, putting those putting those um, those the community, business, and department uh, action plans into action. Um, you know, rewriting the zoning codes so that they meet the four principles, um, revamping how, uh, how uh, capital plans are come up with so that they're, they're using the four, the four principles um, or the public works department or, you know, how the community house, households and community groups, you know, how, what they're doing, what the businesses are are doing, and then some way of you know of monitoring. Someone, <clears throat> someone has to um, keep track of all of this. Uh, the overview you had asked um, in your in your list of questions um, about the mindset of a process leader, and I think the most important one is is to keep the broad overview and to keep track of. You know this broad uh, range of, of of initiatives that's going on in the community. Keep track of that and make sure they're moving forward. Um, and then over time, the city, you know, to make this 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 needs to become part of the ongoing fabric of everyday life and business for a municipality and the community. Um, so so that that those implementation steps need to be put in place to track this and and help keep it keep it going over time and to build on that leadership topic you also mentioned sort of fire starters within a community identifying them and helping to support the energy that they already bring what if you don't find those people how do you become one yourself what are some of the characteristics that you have identified in the people that you have noticed in these projects that are worth sort of giving the extra support to who have already started things going? Yeah. Um, well, in most cases where we've been approached to help people start one of these, one, an eco-municipality, um, it's been by local fire souls. You know, they have read our book or heard about the Swedish eco-municipalities or um, you know, they know people involved, um, so so they're they're all set to go. They just need the you know the tools and the process. Um, it, for someone, uh, in in cases where um, 
those people don't exist. I think it's, um, you know, uh, someone who's interested, it might be an outsider, it might be a community person, just uh, talking, talking this up, giving talks. In fact, one of the first, um, uh, this is one of the, the, there's a region in Wisconsin, the Shawamakan Bay, which is, which was the first uh, region in the U.S. to kind of latch onto this and want to get it going. And um, there were two women um, who had heard about this, um, and I read the book, who uh, just started going around their community giving presentations and talks about this and getting people interested. They went to the Elks and the VFW and the Chamber of Commerce and the City Council and different community groups, um, and they got people interested. And, and they actually started this groundswell of people who wanted to go in this direction. And that's when we were invited in to, you know, help, help um, introduce the process and give the work training workshops. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, one or two people who are fired up about the idea and willing to talk to other people about it and try to get them interested. All right, so at this point, we've identified obstacles. We've talked about processes towards change, how to embody the characteristics of being a leader or getting things started. Where do you start these logical steps so that things kind of move forward in a linear fashion? Where do you begin and how do you start to proceed in order to get real change done? Okay. Um, well, we've talked about the fire souls. We've talked about... Um, having, you know, having them or people they know uh, talk to local officials and getting them on board. Um, if they do that, then the first step would be a, you know, a training session or a presentation with local officials. And if local, if, if they're receptive to that, um, then the next step would be, you know, trying to get them to pass a official adoption of those principles and an agreement to to a change process, which involves community participation and the and department and business participation as well. Um, and then the next step um, would be the do, uh, running workshops in each of those sectors or combined um, to immediately start getting community people uh, familiar with those principles, how to work with them and setting the vision for their communities. Um, and meanwhile, with department workshops, departments are setting the vision using those principles for their, their departments. Uh, then all of these groups start working on action plans uh, for how their departments or the community or the city or the town as a whole is gonna meet those. Um, and then, and then they're working. Meanwhile, the process leaders keeping track of, you know, all these different groups, which happen to be many, and where they, where they are and where they're going. Um, and then that comes back together when they're done with maybe a whole community-wide workshop where all these different groups present their plans um, to the larger community, to the, to the city, city and departments. Um, then hopefully those get approved officially and then, and then the implementation process begins. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. 
it sounds so simple when you lay it out like that, but I can see. Well, it is pretty of, simple. <laughs> but there must be a lot of complexity baked into of this. Of course list. there are. Of yeah. course there are. But I think, you know, I, I think if people can really understand conceptually how simple it is mm. um, and, you know, life happens, of course, but, you know, if you, if, if you can get that and again, hold the broad overview and, you know, have enough people skills to get you over rough patches. Um, I think the chances of success are pretty high. And so that role of a process manager who's kind of fielding the new ideas, the proposals or the progress from all of these different wings or specialties within the larger project is that what's the skill set involved there and who tends to take on that role and do well with it? Um, well, like I think I said earlier that I think the most important <clears throat> mindset for a process leader is this ability to hold the bigger picture yeah. and to not lose sight of it as different groups get more and more immersed in their particular issue area. Um, but to hold that and to keep reminding people that, um, yes, you're working on this really important uh, project to build a, you know, sustainable daycare center. But remember that, you know, this is part what we also want to see is, is the whole community uh, move, to, move toward change. Um, I think a process leader uh, needs to have the people skills to deal with uh, differences, of which of course there will be, and to be able to um, have people see, again, when they're sort of caught in their own particular perspective, uh, the process leader can really help um, people, you know, who are to see things from another perspective. Um, because again, this is part of, of um, you know, the systems approach. And it's easy when you get bogged down to get caught in your own, in your own mindset. But this is where, this is where working for a common goal can, can really help and working, you know, when, when everybody agrees that we're all, no matter what our different issue, issue or um, department roles are, we're all working toward these four same sustainability objectives um, then it's going to be a lot easier. Again, the process leader can help with this to get people to see that, you know, even though the how you know the affordable housing advocates on the one hand and the and the you know green conservation people may be you know at loggerheads over whether a particular parcel or area is going to be housing or you know then I think a good process leader can help them try to see that. You know, the, both of these things are important and whether there is a way of satisfying both, um, you know, both issue goals in this situation. And I'm curious what sort of projects and initiatives you've seen come out of this process that you've been teaching for a while. What are some of the emerging characteristics that maybe you didn't even see coming when you first presented it? Well, I think one of the, um, the most uh, wonderful things to see is, uh, well, there was a community at, um, that we visited, the very first Swedish eco-municipality called Ritornio, 
and we we visited that and we talked to a lot of the um, local folks who had been working in this in this direction um, for more than a decade decade and one of them said um, you know we said well what's it like what's it like you know doing all these things in such a wonderful great sustainable way and he said this is just the normal way of doing things here and and I just I thought that was one of the most wonderful outcomes to come out of a, a process like this that 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 you know, working towards sustainable goals becoming a, becomes just part of what you do naturally. And, and we have seen that happen um, in cases. And I think that's, to me, that's one of the most wonderful outcomes I've seen. Hmm. And I know since this book, you, you're telling me before this interview, you've also written a process manual especially geared towards open planning for sustainability. Can you tell me about that manual and some of the learnings since writing the book that went into it? Sure. Um, the, the idea there was, was to really write down in a way that we didn't do in a very detailed way in a book, but just the step-by-step -step processes uh, that, that a group of interested people or uh, you know, local officials can go through to really um, to really create an eco-municipality, and it involves a lot of what we've talked about um, uh, here, the finding the fire souls, doing the community, you know, the community workshops, um, you know, how you design a training process, um, you know, what the process leader should do, um, all these steps so that it's pretty clear um, for anyone interested how you can um, how you can move forward. So that's why we um, put together and put online this our manual, the open planning for sustainability. And the term open planning um, is to you know get the idea across that this is a participatory approach. Is this meant uh, this is a pr uh, process that's meant to involve everyone in a systematic way, in an organized way. Um, and that that it's a it's a process where the community and the local government and the business sector can work together concurrently um, to to uh, make change over time in the sustainable way. Now, before we wrap up, can you tell me about your personal vision and the potential for communities all around the world, or at least the ones that you have reference to? when implementing or practicing these types of processes, what can they achieve? What, what do you see as the potential for the communities uh, that you've worked with in reaching their sustainability goals? Um, I, see the, I see the potential for uh, rapid change, a rapid, comprehensive, systematic change toward becoming a sustainability over time. Um, you know, being a planner and working in sustainability for for quite a few uh, years now, um, I've had the chance to to see other types of sustainable community processes that are out there, and why they're while um, many, if not most of them, are are laudable. Um, I have I have yet to see a, a, a change process. 
um, that is as successful as ours, if, if I could say so. It's in, successful in terms of involving the broad range of, of community sectors in a systematic way, in a broad set of issues um, over, over time and, and resulting in change that sticks. Um, so that's what I, that's, that's what I would say. <laughs> I love it. So Sarah, how can our listeners get in touch with you, learn how to get access to the process manual and see some of the other resources that you put up? Sure. Um, um, we are in the process of developing a new platform um, for this, which involves uh, not just people in the United States, but people around the world. And it's called Ecomuna. And my co-author and partner, Torbjörn Lati, is working on that, um, as is our, our, um, our, our helpmate and coordinator, Cindy Conti. Uh, Cindy Conti um, is the coordinator uh, for Ecomuna. And so uh, people should people should contact her. Um, I think if people go to the sustainablesweden.org website and look for Ikamuna, they can see the progress on Ikamuna. Um, we're in the process of training um, uh, process leaders right now, uh, but we'll be doing a broader um, broader outreach effort. In, in a few months. So, so look um, on that website, uh, sustainablesweden.org, and then look for Ecomuna when you get to that, get to that website. Well, I think it's a good place to wrap it up. Sarah, thank you so much for making the time to chat with oh, me. Oh, it's my really pleasure. It's been fun to talk to you. <laughs> and I thank you, thank you for your interest. I appreciate it. Thanks once again to Sarah James. I'll be posting all of the links that she mentioned in the show notes on this episode on the website, where you can also find all the previous episodes on the last five seasons for free. Now, before we wrap this up, remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the ongoing conversations happening around these topics on the Regenerative Skills Discord server. It's always free to join, and it's also the easiest way to get in touch with me directly. If you're interested in helping to guide the direction and the focus of this show into the future, or just get some feedback on your own projects and have some questions answered, it's all happening there. So come join the growing community of Earth Regenerators on the forum by signing up through the link in the website or through our link tree on Instagram. And that's our show for this week. As always, don't forget to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.